0: These are the tribulations of Paulette. My cell phone rings on the way home from my near-death experience at Wolf Schecter Public Relations. It's my best friend, Dolly. She sounds as though she's in a vacuum. I thought about us all night, she says. It's time we took some drastic action. This thing has gotten way out of hand. I didn't mean for it to go this far. I think I might be in way over my head. What are you talking about, Dolly? I say. Then I hear a man's voice murmur in response. Hello, Dolly! I yell into the phone, thinking that there's a phrase that really ought to be sung. I try again. Well, hello, Dolly! What about your wife? Dolly asks, oblivious to my voice. Did she say wife? Although I could use a wife, I don't have one that I'm aware of. But wait, Dolly has no idea I'm listening. She must have pocket-dialed me into a conference call. I check my phone. It's on mute. Huh, this is rather interesting. Who is she speaking to? One thing's for sure, it isn't Bunyan. He could use a wife, too. Should I hang up? Nah, not yet. I agree, Dolly says. Let's get out of here. I'll see you at the cottage in 40 minutes. Then there's a lot of shuffling and both people hang up. Hmm, looks like there's a spy mission in the offing for my old friend, Bertie and me. As I pull into my driveway, I'm annoyed to see that the trash guys haven't collected our bags. Then I remember that there was a Monday holiday this week. Since I bugged Dave to put it out in the first place, I'll have to haul it all in later myself. Right now, I've got to cut myself out of these spanks. I clean up the breakfast dishes, which is easy because while I was gone, the cat climbed onto the dining room table and ate the remains of everybody's breakfast, including half a grapefruit. When the dog died, I was secretly thankful. If only I could get the cat to follow suit. Call me cruel, but household pets wear out their welcome after about two years. Then it's all, feed me, clean my crap up, and then let me stalk you in the kitchen while you're cooking dinner. Although I would never do it, every so often, I think about a roundhouse kick to the whiskers. As I go upstairs, interview pumps in hand. I get a look at myself in the hall mirror, and it's a shocker. Not only did I pass out during the interview, but I have a huge smudge under one eye that those Wolf Schechter women didn't tell me about. My blouse has popped open to the waist again, and I have about 16 loads of laundry to get through in the next few hours. A wave of depression hits. How the hell could I go to work every day and come home to the breakfast mess still hanging around? I would lose my mind. This quest to find the me who went missing has hit a serious snag. Ironically, it could turn out to be the thing that ultimately does me in. As I peel off the sweaty spanks, my cell rings, and it's Ted, my high school boyfriend, calling to check on the progress with our high school reunion. Ted doesn't care much about the actual reunion. He views it, I'm sure, as his next opportunity to see me without clothes on. We haven't seen each other since I left him in the parking lot of the Shangri-La. Overall, I tell him, the reunion is going well though Dave and I had to kick in a lot of our own cash to keep the ticket prices down. Dave has been very gracious about it, but in all fairness, he shouldn't have to underwrite our class reunion. Ted, could you do me a favor, I ask sweetly, putting him on the spot. Sure, what do you need? I want you to call all your old football pals and get them to sponsor the bar at the reunion. Well, how much do you need, he asks. Two grand, I say. Wow, he says, that's a lot. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, I say, but that's how much an open bar costs for several hundred people. Men are always shocked when they find out how much things cost. As we continue to talk, I move around the bedroom. Besides, I say to Ted, Dave and I are paying for lots of other stuff, like the postage, the invites, the decorations, the band... I gaze out the bedroom window onto the pile of trash at the foot of my driveway. Wait a minute, I say to Ted. What the? What is going on? Two diminutive women are bent over my trash at the foot of my driveway. The bags are untied and they're pulling stuff out. Ted, I have to hang up, I say. Wearing no underwear under my skirt my blouse still hopelessly unbuttoned, I throw on a pair of bedroom slippers and head downstairs and sneak to the foot of my driveway. Oh my God, it's the two teenage Asian women who live with my neighbor, Mr. Shu. I think they're exchange students. I can hear them quite clearly through the Arbor Arborvitae. Look, Kim, one says. She had a potty. She got a nice napkin. Kaspari. She smooths out a used cocktail napkin. She got a lot of bills, Sue. This one overdue, Kim says as she holds up a crumpled bill. Then she pulls out another. This one late too. This look like jumbo mortgage. She a bad bookkeeper, Sue says, and they giggle conspiratorially. Then Kim pulls out a small plastic garbage bag and undoes the knot. Ooh, she got a period, Kim says. No way, Sue says. She too old for period. Then Sue peeks into the bag. See, she got a period, Kim says. You got that right, says Sue, as Kim empties the small white trash bag onto the sidewalk. We saved this bag too, Kim says. I can't stand it anymore. I step from behind the shrubs to confront the rustlers. Hey, hey, what are you guys doing? I ask. This is my trash. Those are my bills. Give those back to me, I say. Then I look down to see last week's Tampax, wrapped in toilet paper and tinged with bloodstains, half unfurled on the street. I cannot believe it. I'm mortified. Kim clutches my mortgage statement tightly to her chest. Bill is public domain now. You throw away, she says. Right. I throw them away, I say. I don't give them to you. Where is Mr. Shu? Mr. Shu not at home. We in charge, Sue says. Then I'll call Mr. Shu at work, I say, calling their bluff. Mr. Shu in California, Kim says. Do you understand that this is very bad manners? We do not do this in this country. Where are you from? We are from Indonesia. It's bad manners in our country to throw away good things. We like white trash bag and wine bottle. You have a lot of wine bottles, Sue says, as she gestures to the shoe's open garage. Piles of neatly folded white compactor bags, presumably mine, line the floor along with dozens of empty wine bottles whose labels I recognize. You you have all my wine bottles, I say. Those were supposed to go to the recycle. We recycle, says Kim, and we don't keep all the bottles. We don't save the Malbec. I'm about to blow my top when Bertie and Howard arrive at the scene on foot. They carry Starbucks cups, and in a bizarre flashback to the Wolf Schechter interview, they both have foam milk mustaches. Howard is alarmed by the blood-stained clumps of toilet paper he sees on the ground. Dear me, he says. Is someone hurt? I explain the situation, and Howard convinces me that although it may not be nice to go through a neighbor's trash, it is not illegal. When you put it on the street, Howard says, it's in the public domain. The thing that bothers me more are the Chinese taking over the neighborhood. We are not Chinese, Kim and Sue insist. Just then, I remember that Dolly is about to show up at the cottage restaurant to meet the mysterious stranger I heard on her pocket dial. I propose the spy mission to Bertie, who's all for it. Howard looks less happy and tells me that he has to use the bathroom. You can go when we get there, I say. This will only take a minute. I run inside, grab my shoes, sunglasses, and handbag, and load Bertie and Howard into my car. A few minutes later, I pull into the parking space right in front of the bar window at the cottage restaurant. I see Dolly's giant SUV, so I know she's in there. But now I've got a problem because she's not sitting at the bar. I can't walk into the restaurant because she'll see me. Bertie offers to go, but Dolly might recognize her too. I turn to Howard in the back seat. Can you go in there for us, I ask. Why, he asks. I need you to check out my friend Dolly, who's somewhere inside. She'll be with a man. Can you, you know, act casual, stroll by, that sort of thing? I suppose I could do that. I need to go to the bathroom anyway, he says. You're a good sport, Howard, I say, and I run around the car to let him out of the back seat. How will I know what I'm looking for, he asks. Well, you've met Dolly before, Howard. She has a lot of curly red hair. We need to know she's with a man and what the man looks like. Am I looking for the guy who was in our yard that day? No, I say, another guy. Pick up every nuance, Bertie says out the window. I never spied on anyone before, he says. It's all in the details, I tell him. Howard ambles up to the restaurant and disappears inside. Bertie and I park off to one side and wait. Fifteen minutes go by. No Howard. Another five minutes and Bertie can't stand it. Where can he be, she wonders. I'm going in to get him. I'm nervous that Dolly will recognize Bertie. But then I realize that Bertie could actually just be going to the cottage on her own. So I let her go. Another 10 minutes, now they're both missing. This is ridiculous. I get out of my car and go inside. The restaurant is virtually empty. A lone businessman sits at the bar enjoying an early lunch. There is no sign of Bertie and Howard, but to the right I can see the top of Dolly's mane over a booth. I look in the mirror on the opposing wall just in time to see none other than Owen Hamish the real estate broker to the rich, and Dolly's boss ensconced in a booth with her. He feeds her an eggplant french fry. Then his pliant tongue shoots out snake like and licks a dribble of dipping sauce off of Dolly's chin. Uh oh! I make a mad dash for the door. In the parking lot beyond, I see Bertie and Howard already back at my car. That's good. As I quicken my pace to the car, Bertie waves her arms and points back toward the restaurant. I turn around to see Bunyan shielding his eyes with his face pressed up against the glass of the restaurant window. That's bad. I guess Dolly's pet ex-con is getting his own roundhouse kick to the whiskers. And like the trash Dave left out in the street... I feel pretty sure that old Bunyan is finally about to re-enter the public domain. This is Eric Fontana. Oh, how a new
1: friendship makes me smile First and second dates and pretty eyes So I guess you won't return those calls
0: Someone must have
1: warned you about me
0: Next time, no sense allowed. Till then, ta-ta. I could even feel you in my heart
1: But those schemes I have won't keep my past away Someone must have warned you Someone must have told you all the hurt that hurt I've done Now I'll never hold you curse the wicked race I run love is what I need just like anybody else seems a little birdish shove me back on my own chair yeah I guess that's just the way. It is to blame, I suppose Thanks. Hell, it's just as well I probably would have Stored in your dreams Someone should have